What's new in adapted physical education? And I am bringing you a new episode where we are going to highlight some parents and advocating for adapted physical education and the importance of adapted physical education for them. And we actually have uh, two guest hosts today Dr. Brock McMullen and Dr. Garth Timison from the University of Wisconsin La Crosse. They're going to take this away. And before they do, I just want to also mention. Uh, that we might do more and more like this as I've created a quote-unquote mini board for the podcast uh, to help me kind of with brainstorming ideas to help check things as far as like, you know, if there's any issues, maybe they can bring those things to my attention and also help with recording and identifying uh, topics for us to have great conversations on to continue the uh, quality of the podcast. All right, with that, I'm gonna let them begin. Well, well hello and welcome to another um, episode of What's New in Adapted Physical Education podcast. Um, as we begin this recording, what I'd like to uh, briefly do is to uh, thank Scott uh, for entrusting us with the podcast uh, and also for uh, understanding, certainly understanding the importance of the topic that we're going to be talking about uh, in this podcast. Uh, which is parents and parents' attitudes, understandings, and reflections um, about adapted physical education. We feel this content will help adapted physical education teachers, higher education faculty members who are preparing adapted and general physical educators. We feel this information will be very beneficial to other parents and to many other school personnel. Uh, my name is Garth Timison, and uh, I'm a professor emeritus uh, at the University of Wisconsin at La Crosse, where for many years I directed the adapted physical education teacher preparation programs at both the um, bachelor's and master's um, level, and uh, for many years had OSEP uh, federal funding to prepare adapted physical education teachers. Um, with me tonight is also Dr. Brock McMullen. Uh, who is at the University of Wisconsin La Crosse now and is the director of the Adapted Physical Education Teacher Preparation Programs and the Center on Disability Health um, and Adapted Physical Activity. And again, UW La Crosse for many, many decades uh, has had adapted physical education teacher preparation at both the bachelor's and master's pro, uh, levels. And we've had uh, several OSEP grants in preparation of master's degree specialists, and our students go all over the country uh, to be adapted physical education specialists. Um, I'd like to introduce now Marlis, Pam, and Andrea. And Brock and I have known these parents for probably over 20 years, um, and their sons and daughters have been educating us and also educating hundreds of current adapted and general physical education teachers um, through their work in our motor development and adult fitness programs, and then also out in the schools with teachers in the adapted physical education world. And so what I'm going to do now, um, Brock and I are just gonna sit back uh, for a couple of minutes and we're gonna let each one of the parents introduce themselves and their child and what we'll do after that is Brock and I will take turns in asking a series 
of planned questions that we have for our parents about adapted physical education. So Marlis, I'll let you go first with uh, your introduction and then we'll have Pam and then Andrea. Thank you. Um, so my name is Marlis O'Brien and my son, Eric O'Brien, uh, just graduated um, from high school and um, he's 22 years old now. Uh, he was um, little boy, normal pregnancy, um, started not reaching his landmarks and milestones, um, started in the birth to three program, had a lot of testing done. We couldn't figure out why he wasn't able to sit up and roll over and hold his bottle. And those continued to progress throughout his life. Um, and he was in the birth to three program and then um, in the um, public school system. And a few years ago, you know, DNA testing has improved and we found out that he has something called 1P36 deletion syndrome. So he's missing a little chunk of DNA on his first pair of DNA. And so it kind of has symptoms similar to Parkinson's where it's difficult. He's got delayed speech, uh, low muscle tone um, and poor balance. Um, and he's definitely improved over the years. He wasn't able to talk for probably about the first 12 years of life. And now he doesn't stop talking. So um, that's my son, Eric, in a nutshell. Thank you, Marlis. Hi, my name is Pam. Um, my daughter is Quinn. She has Down syndrome. She is 10 years old. She is a fourth grader at a local elementary school here in La Crosse. Um, we did not know at the time um, that I was pregnant that she would be born with Down syndrome. We found out the night she was born. Um, and certainly that was a surprise because we had no reason to expect there were any problems. Um, but uh, so through that process, diagnosed at birth, uh, spent some time in the hospital, uh, similarly uh, participated in birth to three programming, um, and then transitioned into the elementary school. And so, yeah, she's a spunky, strong-willed child, but has all sorts of lovely charms and challenges that come with a diagnosis. So, Thanks, Pam. Andrea? Hi, my name is Andrea, and I have Levi. Um, Levi is 13, and he's in seventh grade at the middle school. And we we knew that there was a 50-50 chance when I was pregnant um, that he would have Down syndrome. So leading into our first question here and your child's experiences with physical education, uh, and we'll start, we'll go in the same order that we did our introductions here, but what do you feel are the two or three most important outcomes or benefits of your child's participation in physical education and for other students um, with disabilities? And then how do you prioritize the physical and motor development outcomes compared to the social and emotional uh, outcomes as well? And again, also maybe mention about, if you don't mind, the the meaningful interaction that your child has with their non-disabled peers. Marlis, if you want to start. For my family, uh, La Crosse is a river town. Uh, we have a houseboat, spent a lot of time in the river camp, go to lakes. So for me, swimming was like a really important thing um, on our list for Eric. We wanted him to be safe in the water and be able to swim. And we didn't know if that was going to be possible. And we're very blessed here in La Crosse to have a uh, school with an indoor pool um, that can be used for physical education. And fortunately, the adaptive physical education students are able to go to the pool on a routine basis and practice some of those swimming skills. So that that is just like one like life skill for me that um, 
was super, super important. Overall, I think it's important for my son, and I've seen it with other children too, to be able to start enjoying physical activity and sports early in life. So it's something that they enjoy and they can find a sport that they can do for their entire life. So they remain physically active. I work in the hospital too, and I see all of the effects of inactivity and obesity and other things on individuals. And I think our children are already marginalized as far as the sports activities they're able to participate in. So for me, the getting him involved in, in physical activity, especially with his non-disabled peers, because that's the way it's going to be for him for the rest of his life. When he goes to the Y or any place else, it's not going to be just with people who have disabilities. So uh, developing that kind of lust for physical activity early in life and, and making it a possibility, for lack of a better word. And for me, I don't know about the other families, but Eric um, was always delayed in, in speech and math and writing and reading. So he was never going to be able to be in a classroom and succeed with non-disabled peers in that type of classroom. But for sports, that was like his one class through his entire um, school career where he could be with the other kids. Um, art was another one. Um, and like wood, our woodshop class that we have. Um, so he always looked forward to uh, Fayed because that's where he could be with the other kids. And uh, one of his best friends to this day is actually a normal developing uh, peer that was in Fayed with him and helped him in Fayed. And she's just been one of his best friends ever since. So I think um, having a, the ability where the kids can interact with their non-disabled peers in an enjoyable environment is like the social side of that is really hard to, to quantify. It's, it's pretty priceless. Good deal. Um, I think I'd echo a lot of um, what Marla said for Quinn kids with down syndrome have low muscle tone coordination issues tend to struggle with weight when they get older. And so I think starting the physical activity early is just creating an enjoyment, a passion an outlet for her, um, that hopefully will stay with her. So whether it's hiking or swimming or gymnastics or whatever the case may be, it's it's finding what is um, fun for her and then being able to develop those other key aspects. So um, motor, you know, whether it's motor development or in the classroom at school, if she's participating um, in PE, she's working on balance, but it feels like fun. And so she's going to buy into that. And um, I think that's super important. As far as like prioritizing that or the motor development piece over like the emotional and social piece, I think they all go hand in hand. I can't speak super articulately to it, but I know that there is best benefits that come from being active. Um, And so if she's active and hopefully that will help her feel better about herself and then we'll engage, you know, allow her to engage with peers, whether they're special needs or, or normal development. So that's, I think, some of the thoughts that I had on that one. Sorry, I'm going to look at my notes quick. Mm-hmm. I think the interaction, the ability to be in with her non-disabled peers, I think that's super important. She's going to need a community to support her. I mean, she will support her as long as we are able to, but at some point, she's going to need an outside community to, to pick up where mom and dad leave off. And so if she can build those friendships and interactions um, in a physical activity setting, then hopefully she can carry that um, 
into the community when she needs those assists, whether it's when she's working some at some point in her life or um, just in the community in general. And so if people understand how to interact with her and they start early on, that just bridges. And I think that builds on that. And then she's not uncomfortable approaching somebody for help when she needs an assist or whatever that looks like. So I think there's so much that comes from um, being in a, a joint setting. Um, it also shows her what typical developing um, peers do or how their behaviors are. And so um, if she is, she models, she's a visual learner. And so she sees what is expected of others, then she's likely to internalize that and start acting out on those um, or modeling or mirroring those behaviors. And so I think there's tremendous benefit that comes from an integrated yet supported environment when it comes to any kind of learning, but specifically motor development and physical development. Good. I like what you said there, supportive, supportive and integrated. That's th Those are key terms. Very good. Thank you. Andrea? All right. Well, you guys pretty much said it all, but um, so we are at the point where Pam has said kids with Down syndrome have weight challenges. We're in the middle of that right now. So it's important for us to keep Levi active and to keep moving um, so that just to maintain his health and to try to regulate his weight. Um, as far as school, we have a hard time keeping him in the traditional classroom. So that is, that's just the constant struggle. So when we go to PE, that's kind of his wheelhouse. And so that's where he bonds with the other kids. And that's where he builds these relationships. Um, what's the important for me is that he's learning rules. He's learning that it's not a free-for-all. You have to follow these rules. You have to do these steps. The relationships that he's formed with the kids in his class from kindergarten through seventh grade, you know, they include him in their football games and their basketball games. He came home one day with a football jersey to mimic the boys in his class. So that tells me that they really have his back. And that's important for me that just to have those peers that he looks up to so much, bring him into the fold. And that helps him want to do better. Um, it helps to keep him on task. And I think of all of the different aspects of school, this is the one that really keeps him engaged. And so that sets us up for success elsewhere. So we use in school, we use it a lot as a reward. So if you stay through your math class, you get to go play basketball afterwards. And that gets him every time. Good, good. Well, I certainly heard many themes about the advantages and 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 the of outcomes, the physical and the motor, and also the social emotional. Uh, it obviously was weaved through all of your answers. Uh, my question now gets into a little bit of special education terminology that I know you're all familiar with. Marlis, again, I'll, we'll start off with you. What was the initial eligibility? or revaluation process for your child to receive adaptive PE services? And at what age did that process start and who initiated that process? For my family, since Eric was involved in the birth to three program, um, it was just a natural progression into um, the public school system. And I believe it was probably his case manager in the early intervention program, the birth to three program. And they started that process, I believe, when he was about two and a half or maybe shortly after that. And then they started doing all of this testing and evaluation to see where his um, deficits were. 
So once we got into the public school system at the age of three, um, they already kind of had in place all of the pieces where he was behind. So we had OTPT speech, um, adaptive FIED. And um, so all of that was kind of in place. And it was interesting, the um, adaptive FIED teacher would work with PT and OT and see what he needed and then integrate that into the physical activity that they were doing um, during the FIED um, um, portions of the day. For us, I didn't have to necessarily initiate anything that kind of happened for me um, between birth to three in the public school system. Great. So it sounded like there was a very good motor team approach with adapted physical education and the related service folks that were really working together with that motor team. Oh, yeah. From the very beginning. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Similar. Um, so because Quinn had a diagnosis at birth, um, we were referred to birth to three right out of the hospital. And we did those services until she was three. Um, and about two and a half, they started talking about school. Um, Quinn, unfortunately, was really ill at about two and a half. And so we missed a little bit of a chunk of time because of the hospitalization um, and actually started our school um, services with remote learning. And so we didn't do adaptive PE to begin with um, just because we were doing home services. But after she was cleared medically, she went into the um, school system. And same thing, we had PT, OT, speech, special education, adaptive PE, and the team that we went into was phenomenal and collaborated um, and did joint therapies or joint sessions when they could, um, but also worked with her one-on-one. So if it was a focus, you know, if she got 60 minutes a week with OT, for example, um, but they were working on gross motor skills, they might do 30 minutes with PT or OT and adaptive PE to make it a fun setting, and then they would do independent time. So there was lots of collaboration and overlap. Um, similarly, I didn't have to initiate a lot of that on my own because of the diagnosis. We went right into a caseworker setting, um, and that facilitated all the way through into the school system. My turn. Um, I think we all have the same story. We all started with birth to three and then it's, it was a seamless transition into the school system. So the Monday after Levi turned three, he went into early education at the school and, Again, with OTPT speech and adaptive PE, um, we set up their IEP and they all work together. We have the same team that Quinn has um, and they're just fantastic. And they all work together so well to make sure that our kids are getting what they need. Again, same as same story as Marlis and Pam have. What, what I really enjoyed hearing there and, and people I'm sure who are listening to this podcast will appreciate this is that all of this was taking place in a zero to three early intervention program. And then there was an actual transition process from your individualized family service plan into the preschool special education at age three into adapted physical education. And that's a very, very good model. And so those services were seamless with that transition from early intervention into preschool special education. Brock? Yeah, very good. Um, we'll, for this question, we'll start with Andrea and go backwards this time so she can uh, maybe share a little more and not to follow up. But you all mentioned uh, in, in one way or another a, a good amount of collaboration between, you know, a, a physical educator and other professionals like a physical or occupational therapist. Um, so what do you feel are important qualities or skills 
that are necessary for an adapted PE teacher to have in the PK-12 schools. Andrea? Oh gosh, hands down, you have to have patience. Um, patience, understanding, and you have to have the adaptability to roll with the punches. Um, our kids are not going to do what you want them to do. That is just the way it is. And I think you all have seen that at Motor Development with Levi in particular. Just having that flexibility to change your plan on the fly with the kids and to change like the lesson plan to suit the kids. Every one of our kids is different and they all have different needs, whether it be, you know, cognitively, physically, you have to be able to cater your plan to what works for the kids. And if it doesn't work, you have to be willing to take a different approach. So just having that open-mindedness really would help. Yeah. I echo everything Andrea said, but I would also add like, I think it's really important to um, for the the profession professionals that work with our kiddos to bring their passion. Um, our kids pick up on things, and so if you're not invested or engaged or excited about what you're doing, our kiddos are going to pick up on that, and they're going to feed it right back to you. And so I think being excited, I think meeting the kids where they're at, but pushing them to be their best is is awesome. Being humble and being able to ask and say. I've never dealt with a kid with Down syndrome. What do I need to know? What's specific about your kiddo, but what's specific about the diagnosis? Um, and then recognizing that our, as parents, we might be the experts on our kiddo and we might be able to tell you about the diagnosis, um, but we're probably still learning as well. Um, so yeah, that's a lot of rambling, but I think it's important to be excited. I think it's important to meet them where they're at, building relationships with the kiddos um, because once the kiddo is knows that you're excited about them, they're going to get excited about that that professional, and they're going to be that much more eager to participate or try something that maybe they don't want to try. I think um, I think Andrea and Pam hit the nail on the head uh, for most of it. The other thing I think they have to be willing or able to do is that kind of brutal honesty um, and uh, to and to be able to have those hard conversations. Um, and sometimes as a parent, I don't want to hear, you know, that my son can't do this. Um, I, I want him to be able to ride a two wheel bike down the hallway, but you know, they reel me back in and say, okay, that's not a safe option at this point. Let's try X, Y, or Z. And um, we, we had an experience one time with an occupational therapist that um, kept wanting to put our son in a swing and, and he would just get, get sick every time. And, and it was actually the adaptive FIED teacher um, that stood up for Eric and said, you know, we just got to stop this modality. I know it's worked for other kids, but this is not for Eric. And I didn't feel comfortable having that conversation. And fortunately he stood up for Eric and, and our family. Um, so being willing to, you know, have that, that level of honesty that might be needed and, and those hard conversations, you know, IEP plans aren't fun and they're not easy. And I wish I knew back then what I know now about IEPs at the first one, I had no idea what was happening, no idea what to ask for. Um, and uh, their honesty was, um, you know, really valuable to me. Um, and they even pulled me aside and said, you know, this is this is like the type of thing you should be looking for here. 
because I didn't, I had no idea what I was doing. So that being willing to be honest, even, even when it might be hard. Good. I'll move on to the next question. Now, getting a little bit more specific now um, about working with parents, what, what advice or suggestions do you have for adaptive physical education teachers regarding their collaborative work with parents of students with disabilities? Hi, Andrea. Um, I think communication, hands down, is the biggest piece of the puzzle. Um, you know, as Marlis and Pam both stated previously, that honesty, that open communication, it's so important. And I try right out of the gate, whenever somebody new comes onto our team, um, just tell me what you need to tell me. Nothing you say is going to put me on the defensive or hurt my feelings. We're here together to build this kid up. And I need you to succeed in order for our kids to succeed. Um, so just that comfort in talking to parents and being open with the communication, I think that is the biggest, the biggest piece that they need to hit. Um, I think similar to what Andrea said is communication. I think it's, I want to know um, what's going well so I can praise my kid and talk to my kid about that. I want to know what's not going well so that I can support redirecting that. I can follow through and follow up on things. Um, I want to just know that, hey, she maybe just had a good day today and maybe there's nothing noteworthy. But I think it's um, recognizing and um, showing that you're invested in our kids um, because we're invested in our kids. And like Andrea said, if 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 we're not successful together, like we may disagree about something, but then let's work through and find a solution for something or find a, a solution or a way to make it work. Because I might not understand the rules and regs that the school system has, but I am going to understand what's going to work or not work for my kiddo. And so I know, or I believe I know what's best for my kid. And, but I also know that my kid acts different when I'm not around. So maybe what you're telling me, I'm just having a hard time hearing so if we can come to the table and um, work collaboratively and be supportive of each other and be timely with those conversations, because I don't want to know what parent-teacher conference is six, eight, ten weeks into the year that my kid trashed your room and you never told me about it. I can't help you with that. Um, but if you tell me after it happens, I can certainly follow through and say, okay, what's our consequence? What do we need to do? How do we need to redirect? Um, and I might even be able to offer some troubleshooting scenarios. So I think being candid, um, being respectful, um, sharing the wins and the losses, and um, wanting to have a true partnership. Unfortunately, um, something that they need to be aware of and and uh, uh, figure out how to work through is that some parents aren't always going to be involved. Um, you know, um, when, when they have a, a family unit that wants to be engaged, take advantage of it. Um, you know, reach out to us. We want to make things work, uh, but not to get discouraged when there are families that don't seem to care and don't care what's in the IEP and don't follow through with suggestions at home. That's going to happen, but don't give up on the rest of us that are really, you know, engaged and, and want to make things work. Um, so you're going to come across some families that just don't have that, um, you know, continuity of care you might want to see, but don't give up on us. You know, uh, we, we need your help. Um, I remember Eric was, had been taking the same medication in elementary school and he would get sick and tired, like for the 45 minutes after he took it. 
And it was actually the adaptive FIED teacher that came and said, you know, he's tired all the time. And I know he likes this and he, he just wants to lay down and sleep. And then all we had to do was readjust when he got the medicine and he got it before his free time where he would typically, you know, so he napped, it worked out perfectly. Um, so that, that honesty being willing to collaborate with families who, who are engaged and, and want that feedback. We do want it. There are some of us out there that really crave it and we want to make it work. That's great. We know that we all learn from parents and we learn from uh, your children. So uh, that's such a valuable lesson that you each shared with us. Uh, yeah, with that, a little bit talking about the collaboration between APE teachers and parents, what suggestions might you have for somebody like me who is in teacher preparation, working with students that are going to be teachers uh, in physical education and adapted physical education? Uh, what tips might you have for university faculty who are preparing, again, future teachers to work with kids in adapted physical education um, in the future. So let's start with Andrea. Just encouraging them to be hands-on with the kids and get involved with the community and with the families. Um, I think the connections that we have built with students in the APE program are just, they're priceless. They really are. And, you know, we've kept those relationships over the years and we've worked with many, many students in the 10 years that we've been with the program. And the passion is another thing that they either have it or they don't. And we've been so lucky with all of the students that have come into Levi's life. Um, but I think having truly having a passion for adaptive physical education and for kids with special needs, it's going to make it or break it for these students. And it's it's just like I said, it's invaluable the collaboration between the parents and the students and seeing these kids out at community events and really getting the full picture of what they're getting into and how they can help. I think that's that's so important to us. I think practical experience. Um, I know for myself that once I've gone through a situation, I learned something from it. I take from it in my own professional life, which has nothing to do with special needs kiddos, but like. When I'm in my work setting, or even as a parent, that hey, uh, hindsight's twenty twenty, and I would have done this differently or that differently. And so, if they don't have experience, whether it's at a camp or in a classroom or babysitting, or like I know that um, we were blessed that we have lots of the college students come through and are after school helpers for us or summer nannies for us, and. Um, <clears throat> It may not pay what bartending or landscaping or what some of those other positions do, um, but it one, it makes a huge difference to the families. Two, I think the opportunity that they get to see the kiddos for more than just an hour or hour and a half, they see them all eight hours of the day, they're going to take um, different lessons from that. And so um, I get it. My kids are challenging to live with, and I don't know that I want to spend all day all summer with them. But for the students that are willing to put that time in or try those different volunteer experiences in different settings at the Y, at Boys and Girls Club, whatever whatever that might be, I think that's where they're going to build their toolbox or their depth of understanding and experiences. Work with different kinds of kiddos. You know, um, don't just you know silo yourself into down syndrome or whatever or autism or whatever you're comfortable with because you had a friend that way or whatever um that varied experiences are just going to set the college students up for so much more success as they travel on 
I echo a lot of the same um, um, feelings. The the as a college, I think they need to prepare these kids by getting them the experience with different kids of different abilities and different parents. You know, um, you know, I was a hovering parent when Eric was first in motor development, and I sat and hid behind the curtain and watched. And you know, and and then there were other parents. You know, now I you know take off and go relax and read a book. Um, but so that the students get experience with different parents and parenting styles and different students and different abilities. And do they have trachs and do they have asthma and do they have seizure issues? And I don't know if every college has a motor development program, but if they don't, they should, because I just think it's a fantastic opportunity, not only for our kids, but for the college students to get experience setting goals for the kids and working with them. And, you know, can we get Eric to dive off the diving board this year, you know, um, and, and setting those, those really finite goals and getting to work towards them. So I don't know if that's something every college gets to do it, but if not, they, they definitely should. The college has done a very good job over the years. I think of listening to parental feedback. Like I remember when we went from Saturday mornings to Thursday nights and, that's a late night for these little kids. And so they made sure the littlest kids did swimming last so they could get in their jammies and go straight home. Um, so kind of just some of those tweaks along the way, listening to parents and, and, you know, what works for us and, and what we would like to see. And, and then having the fun, you know, the parties at the end of the semester, that's, that's a cool thing. Uh, very good. We'll move on to the next question now, parents. And again, I know all of you are very, very strong advocates uh, for, for your children. What would you advise parents to do if their school district told them there was no adapted physical education or no specially designed instruction in physical education in their schools? What advice would you give those parents? Marlis, we'll start off with you on that one. We're very fortunate here in La Crosse to have all of the services that we do um, um, but you know, there's laws and legislation that require that it's offered. Um, so I would encourage, like, I grew up in a very small town in, in rural Wisconsin that doesn't have the same services here. And I guess I would really tell them you need to fight for your child. And this is something the school system should be offering and they're not going to offer it if, if you don't put their feet to the fire and, 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 and get them to step up and offer the services, um, so, you know, it's something that our kids deserve the chance at, and we're the only ones that are going to speak for them. Yeah, I, um, I think the tricky part is when you get told no once, um, sometimes it feels like that door has been shut. And so knowing that if you get um, a response that maybe doesn't feel right or doesn't sound right, whether you know the laws or the legislation or not, um, you know asking the next person if, Hey, I'm talking to Brock and it's not going well, Brock, who else can I talk to? Let's bring somebody else into this conversation because I don't think this is the right, or I don't, you know, whatever. Um, we're fortunate that it, with the Down syndrome community, we have a huge um, state association and local chapter and that sort of thing. So reaching out to those resources, whether it's a county worker, you know, if you're working in the school district and you're being told, no, something um, don't hesitate to reach outside of those boundaries. There's a local college that might have an influence, um, awareness organization at the state level, local level, some of those different opportunities. Um, and I, we're, again, we're fortunate here that a lot of that's been set up for us. Um, but additionally, like I would say, oh, I just lost my thought. If it's not set up for you, um, 
sorry, just advocating for your kiddos because your voice is the best way. Somebody before you paved it for me. So hopefully you can pay it forward for the next generation as well. That was my point. Pam, those, those, that's very important what you mentioned um, in relation to contacting your parent associations, your parent association for Down syndrome, parents association uh, for youngsters with autism. And also every state has a federally funded parent center for educating parents about the types of services they should be getting. So you are right on target there. Andrea? Um, you have to make noise. You can't just take no for an answer. You have to be persistent and know that you are the only one that's going to speak up for your child. Um, we had an instance when Levi was younger outside of adaptive PE, but the school district was not meeting a need. So the school itself couldn't help me. Who's the next person I can go to? I went to the director of special education. They couldn't help me. Okay, now who do I go to? The superintendent. And you just got to kind of keep climbing that ladder until you get the results that you know is right and you know that your child needs. Um, we lean pretty heavily on our social worker. Um, we're very blessed that we have such a fantastic social worker. So, like, I've pushed myself out of my comfort zone when it comes to fighting for what my son needs. And when I'm not sure what direction to go, my social worker steers me. She's had so much experience in so many different avenues. And if she doesn't know the answer, she's going to ask somebody else. And we're going to work as a team to get where we need to go. Um, at the end of the day, the, the adaptive PE needs to be in the IEP. And if the school isn't going to put it there, we need to figure out how to get it there. And so, you know, I'm not a pushy parent, but I am when I need to be. Great, 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 great. I love what you said about the IEP, Andrea. And, and, and as you folks all know, what I generally say is get it on the IEP and keep it in the IEP. And remember now, if, if parents are listening to this, you can always contact Brock or you can contact Scott McNamara, who runs this podcast, What's New in Adapted Physical Education. And parents, he'll get you to people that can help out with uh, procuring services or at least information about how to uh, procure those services. Brock, why don't we wind it up here? Yeah, let's get our last question here answered. So again, this last question is just kind of a final wrap up. And uh, I kind of do want to have uh, maybe some specific questions for each of the parents. So Marlis, maybe could you just ex explain a little bit about what transition services were like for Eric um, in high school, uh, as since he you know mentioned at the earlier that he just graduated and finished up. So how did that school prepare him to to end his time in, in adaptive PE? They uh, so again, you know, we were really blessed. They um, uh helped get us um, hooked up with services at the Y and, um, and ensured that, okay, he can ride a two, two wheel bike now. Um, and, and through the help with the, with the um, adaptive program too. So, um, and then the services, when you move out of the school system, there's not as much available um, so, uh, we're working with uh, local groups to develop, uh, physical activity programs for kids when they're done with, with high school. And, and that's still a need, I think that, that we can improve on in our community. I don't think we've met it completely, but all of the adaptive FIAD teachers in every 
school district within 20 miles is involved with it and they're volunteering with it and they're helping with it. Um, one of them takes some adaptive downhill skiing, you know, so um, it's out there. They're great people. And if they don't know the answer, they know somebody who knows the answer. So don't be afraid to reach out to them. So Marlis, that adaptive physical education was part of Eric's transition programming, let's say between the ages of 16 to 21, correct? Oh, definitely, definitely. And and probably uh, for my son, that's when he finally maybe started improving his motor skills. Um, so uh, it, it, like he really, you know, started to improve in speech and motor skills and things like that. So it opened up a ton of different avenues and the adaptive sports league um, that was de developed um, uh, when he entered high school. So, you know, we just got the adaptive sports league in our community so that kids could participate in organized sports in high school. And, you know, that was something we had to fight for, you know, we didn't have that seven years ago. Um, so, you know, it, it's a blessing to see it now. Great. Thank you. Pam, anything that you would like to share about adapted PE? I don't know that there's anything specific. I think I would just echo some of the, the themes that we've already kind of hit um, just so that it's, it's resonates. Um, adaptive PE teachers, they do make a difference. And, you know, some of Quinn's favorite helpers are in the PE setting because she enjoys being active. Even when it's something that she says, nope, I'm going to go sit down. Like um, they find ways to get her back out on the, you know, engaged and participating and, um, she asks all the time about the college kids that, that help her during, you know, motor development or, or otherwise. And so I think for those that are entering the field, just know that you really do touch lives. And even if it's a semester or a year, it does make a difference what you do every day. And so I just want to, I guess, give that encouragement, um, to just stay invested and keep doing what you're doing. We were so blessed with our transition to the elementary to the middle school that our APE teacher came with us. And middle school is a struggle. I'm just going to say it is a struggle. Um, and having that expert on Levi with us has made all the difference. And so, you know, going from this team that we had for eight years at the elementary school into a brand new team where nobody knows him. They don't know his quirks. They don't know how to wrestle him. They don't know how to negotiate with him. Um, having our adaptive PE teacher with us, and she has grown with him since he was three years old. She knows those tips and tricks, and she knows how to manipulate him before he manipulates her. Um, and so that's been an absolute blessing. I almost cried when I heard that she was coming to middle school with us. So those relationships that we form are, they're just priceless. Transitioning to high school, I told her she's going to need to come with us there too, because that's going to be another big step. So I don't think she's on board with that though. That's great. What, what I've really enjoyed hearing um, is that whole scenario of age three, all the way to 21 or even 22. Uh, that adaptive physical education as part of special education really runs that same age range from three to 21, and that there was actually organized and purposeful transition between early intervention zero to three. And then once all of your children um, entered the public school at age three, and for Pam and Andrea, 
to hear from Marlis that it should be taking place all through transition, whether it's age 14 or 16, all the way through 21 or 22. And uh, oftentimes that doesn't happen, but as we know, it should happen um, by, uh, by uh, federal education law. Uh, I've really enjoyed, uh, Brock, I'll let you uh, finish up after me, but I've really enjoyed this. And I wanna thank the parents for helping us prepare so many teachers over the years. Um, you, you don't know how much you help us prepare all of our future adapted physical education teachers. And so uh, we owe you an awful lot. Uh, we know you love adapted physical education, but we couldn't do the preparation that we do for adapted physical education um, if it wasn't for uh, wonderful collaboration and cooperation from parents. And I hope all adapted physical education teachers and higher education faculty members who are preparing teachers understand the importance of really, really um, getting the parents involved. Yeah, Rock. thank you very much. And again, the last thing I just want to reiterate is, or one thing I'm taking home from this conversation is just how important it is for our pre-service teachers to um, to just to be themselves and to find a setting and to find a profession that they can enjoy and enjoy working in. And you find that by immersing yourself in that situation. And I think anybody, whether it's a teacher or a parent or a friend, kids with disabilities are not always the easiest people and children to work with. And it does take a special person. And it was mentioned that one of the characteristics of a teacher that is needed is patience and patience is key. And I think as a university professor, one thing that we can do to uh, you know, introduce our students to this field, to this profession is we can do our best to expose them to kids with disabilities, whether that's a clinical experience in the schools, whether that's an on-campus program that you can offer at your university. Again, I think students with disabilities are always going to need our services, and it's very important that physical education continues to be one of those services that are offered to our kids with disabilities for as long as we are providing it. So again, thank you for your time, and thank you for listening. Thank you for everything you do.